What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. I am Pat Sheehan with your co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, Coachella was this weekend and I had no clue what was going on until Twitter blew up on was that saturday night and damn what did it kind of take over my weekend i want to talk about it but before we jump into it if you are listening to this and enjoy our work the nostalgia channel on youtube is where you should be following us go to soundcloud.com nostalgia pod for all of our episodes and give us a rating and review on itunes we appreciate all your feedback and interact with us on twitter at nostalgia pod we appreciate you all right back to coachella there were there's a lot lot to talk about but i think we have to start with the queen what was your experience in finding out that Beyonce was just basically giving the performance of a lifetime at Coachella? Again, it wasn't really on my radar either. I feel like most people don't tune into music festivals that they're not going to, or at least have them when they occur like on the calendar in their head if they're not going. But I guess because Coachella actually like, streams a lot, a lot of people were tuning in. You would have thought her Super Bowl performance was going to be like her big opus, you but then in hindsight, a, a much larger set where, with a bigger, more dependable stage makes it sound ridiculous to ever suggest that in the first place. And so, I mean, the amount of pieces that people wrote about this performance is definitely unexpected, but kind of stupid to ever doubt Beyonce in terms of the cachet she has in terms of current performers. Pretty nuts. While it was going on, I think it was the top five trending topics on Twitter, at least in the United States. At the same time, it was all Beyonce related. It broke streaming records on YouTube for most streamed live performance. And it's actually interesting you mentioned the Super Bowl performance because I believe she also had a marching band and some of the same kind of choreography going on for that. But this, she had a whole basically bleachers behind her. And there's a lot of iconic moments from this performance, you know, whether it's like the suck on my balls (laughs) chant with them all dancing, Destiny's Child reuniting, quick Jay-Z drop in. Yep. Uh, or her and Solange like dancing not even mentioning Rihanna was like front row at this thing (laughs) jamming out there's a lot there but I think it's interesting that she keeps going back to this like marching band idea with her live performances definitely a nod to you know black culture in in general which I I think really embraces marching bands and the role that they play in, in live music but what was your favorite moment from the performance in general probably Destiny's Child yeah I feel like they picked a nice trio of songs. Fuck, it was Say My Name, Soldier, and what was the third one? I forget. Kelly Rowland still got it, which was nice yeah. to see. And Michelle, she's there too. <laughs> she's the Ringo. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's cool seeing them do choreographed performance like nothing's ever happened. Yeah, it was such a moment too. And probably expected if you really thought about it. He knew she was going to have a lot of guests. I mean, Coachella's always guest filled. I think Eminem had Dre, 50 Cent come out with him. Uh, predictable as well they actually didn't stream eminem which uh, was probably a smart call tough fact to follow for beyonce (laughs) yeah the weekend i saw a couple of clips of seemed like he put on a really great performance as well but cardi b brought out a lot of people performing with her chance was there for that but i think the act that stole the weekend for me was your boy yodel boy oh my god that was awesome walmart yodel boy (laughs) amazing what a moment and fucking justin bieber jamming out in the crowd to him Incredible. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> Shout out our guy Grady. He sent a very funny Snapchat yesterday. We were playing PUBG, yep. and whenever we were talking mm-hmm. about decision making, that's just what he would say. <laughs> 
I mean, Coachella, always a place to talk about things, but we mentioned Cardi B. Notable, week after her album Invasion of Privacy drops, which you can check out our review on our YouTube page, Nicki Minaj is linked to Cardi B heavily because she's kind of at the top of female rappers right now. Drops two singles, Barbie Tings and Chun-Li. Yeah. What do you think about this move, Dave? I mean, we expected Nicki to come back this year. Pink Print was a fall 2015 record, so it's been time, um, as we said last week. But to release two new songs, hashtag Nikki Day, the week after Cardi drops, is a declaration of intent, if I ever saw one. And like, you know, she did some press. She talked to Zane Lowe on Beats One. And she was saying that she was always really supportive of Cardi, but Cardi, maybe it was just Atlantic and her team, not necessarily Cardi B herself, but like they were being more antagonistic than they need to be in terms of like the motorsport verse being changed and the video and them not being in the same shots and the shoot, etc. So it's kind of interesting seeing that play out because, you know, all the stupid people want to pit them against each other because, oh, they're women. They're in rap. They should not like each other because that's how it should be. It's stupid. And I don't think either of them actually really wants that. So I kind of hope it pans out for the best. But in the meantime, I mean, Drake gave Cardi a few hours with Nice For What. And then <laughs> Nicki gives her a week. So I really like to see how these Nicki songs, which maybe they're promotional singles, maybe they're actually album singles, we don't know. See how those singles play in terms of Cardi's album cuts perform as well. I'm pretty curious to see how it plays out yeah like you said a lot of people were comparing just because they're both females that rap and i guess it's somewhat natural but also you don't necessarily need to be putting them up against each other but it's kind of hard to parse the conversation when nikki i don't know if this is direct shot but it seems like a pretty indirect shot at all right cardi you had the the crown for a week but i'm, I'm here to snatch it back so it's interesting, yeah, to say the least you mentioned your guy drake though he has some news come out today right yeah well he instagrammed a picture of himself wearing like a bomber jacket and it says june 2018 scorpion so unless he's releasing a yeezy collection i assume that's his album title (laughs) i mean it could be a yeezy collection because kanye's been tweeting a lot too coming out out of the shadows he's in a, a set of consciousness that only some people can be in and other people cannot but shout out our guy austin boykins yeah get that article about the the easy season was a season four or five at this point yeah he works for hype beast right yeah and he, he got the article about it that kanye tweeted out pretty cool he deleted <laughs> it. yeah definitely very cool for him yeah it's very exciting to see these people kanye drake beyonce cardi nikki dropping uh, and perf- putting out such awesome performances just right lets me know that summertime is coming up there's going to be some awesome culture to be talking about so very excited about that we're going to jump into some albums here i wanted to ask you do you want to start with kali ukis or tanashi tanashi Tanashi. come on dog (laughs) tanashi i literally said it right before the pot i was like i got it i got it forget right we'll start with her i guess (laughs) tanashi second album joyride finally here after much maligned label issues and a and r issues and just a failure to get the project out the door. It was originally targeted for 2016, so it's been a minute. Yeah. Well, your guy Zane pushed that back. Yeah. <laughs> Labels like, we got One Direction, Zane, we got to push Tanache off. Yeah. I mean, she really busts on the scene with two on it, with Schoolboy Q. That was a really big hit, platinum song. That's 2014 mm-hmm. for her debut album Aquarius, so it's been a while. I mean, it's not like she ever went away or anything. She was always ever out. It's just she really couldn't get the album out the door. But now it's here and I actually was kind of surprised to see the album being you know lacking any real bloat it's like a 35 minute record it's pretty quick I thought she would maybe like pack it in to make up for lost time which I mean she's had some promotional singles like super love come out over the years that were probably 
attempts to start the album cycled and they just didn't go anywhere. She didn't include any of those older songs on this. So it, she didn't really sacrifice that like vision she had for the project, which I thought was pretty commendable given her issues that she's had. And I've kind of been a fan of Tanache as like a, she's kind of like, like the rhythmic pop side to pop and R&B. In a sense, you could say she kind of like did what Khalid and SZA do now before a little bit beforehand yeah and like kind of like paving that way like sonically at least and she's had some mixtapes come out before Aquarius and one afterwards and I really like party favors as well with Young Thug so she's always kind of been like you know in the scene but never truly broken out and I kind of think that's what's going to happen again with Joyride I think Joyride's a, a, a fine yeah. listen I think there's some cool ideas there with the sounds I really like the song she has with Little Dragon lyrically it's fine I, I think she can do better than this and she probably knows that too but she's also kind of playing it safe i think for the charts and i think that's kind of what the lasting impression will be just because it'll be hard for anyone to really latch on to any of these songs long term was my guess would be and i don't think it's going to sell very well unfortunately but I mean, what was your take on it I think you hit the most of the key points. I mean, for somebody who's been kind of in the public public sphere since she was a child and, you know, she's been an actor, she's been in a girl band, she's been doing her solo work for a while. It's something that I'm surprised I don't know more about, honestly. And it seems like, like you said, this is not going to be the album that puts her to the top of everybody's playlist and makes, makes it a must listen. But I think it's a solid record and a solid listen. Faded Love with Future and Stuck With Me with Little Dragon were the ones that stood yep. out to me. But yeah, I didn't really find anything remarkable about this. Just a like an enjoyable 35 minute listen. I, I credit her for the, you know, like you said, keeping it short because after a wait like that, it's easy to just be like, I'm going to throw everything out that I've been working mm-hmm. on. She probably has a lot of other songs she just hasn't put out, but it's a good next step for her. This is her, what, second album? Yeah, her second album, technically. I mean, she had some mixtapes thrown, thrown around there, too. Well, I want to give her a lot of credit, too, because like, she's talked about like directing music videos and have that kind of vision. And then also, her live performance, as well as in her videos, is like a lot of heavily choreographed dance. Like She's a really talented dancer. Talked about being inspired by Jan Jackson and stuff. So... I kind of want her to get rewarded for like the effort she clearly puts in. And I think the music should get there. Uh, this should do well enough for her to keep touring. Like She'll be fine. And of course, she's with Ben Simmons right now. So uh, she's got plenty of PR going on. So Talk about someone that, that's on fire right now. Ben Simmons, dog. These last two months. Why don't we jump to Kali Uchis with her al- album Isolation. Now, this is an album... I can ride for right here. This shit sounded remarkable. For someone that I had never listened to before, she only had her EP in 2015, Poor Vita. Um, this kind of blew me away because I was expecting this to be kind of what Tanache was in a way. Kind of, you know, enjoyable pop album, something that overall, like, I got used to and got it. And I was like, okay, I can probably skip through the rest of these songs. This thing was, like, very eclectic in, in sound. And in, she's Colombian-American. Her parents, I believe, are from Colombia. She's from there, too. Oh, she is. Okay, so she, she's an immigrant. It's, it's obvious that she has a lot of influences, but the way that she kind of mixed like Latino with R&B, hip-hop, and pop elements was just really impressive. What did you think of this isolation? That's kind of what I latched on to, too. Similar to uh, Camila Cabello back in January, a Cuban-American. Yeah. The Latin flair to both projects does stand out. And yeah, with Kylie, she, her story's interesting because... As soon as she kind of like got over here and started making music, she collaborated with fucking everyone. She has multiple songs with Tyler the Creator, both on Cherry Bomb and Flower Boy. A song with Snoop Dogg. She was on the most recent Gorillaz album. A song with Miguel. She's been happy to work with anyone. People were happy to work with her. She worked with Daniel Caesar as well and was nominated for a Grammy for the most recent Grammys, Best R&B Performance. 
yeah, this album, it, it does a lot of stuff with like the pop and the R&B and the funk. Like, there's a lot of different genres in there. And you can definitely tell all the, the people she has working with her. You look at the liner notes, there's a lot of talented people on the album. Like Damon Alburn's there. Steve Lacey there, big fan, of course. The Steve Lacey song also has work from uh, Ramil from Brockhampton, which I thought was really cool. I, I think if there's one negative I have about Kai, I don't think her vocals are amazing. She's not like the best singer ever, but it's fine because all the songs are so well-crafted. Exactly. I would agree that her vocals, they don't blow you away. But to kind of bring in and like, drive home that point of the eclectic nature, she had TV on the radio, one of the get members from that who was helping her with this, which is a pretty famous band from like the early 2000s. Dave Siddick from Frank Ocean, who, who's a collaborator with him. Omos Keith, DJ Dahl. Damon Albarn actually is on a song. Steve Lacey from the internet is actually on a song as well. Greg and Kirsten was involved. Thundercats involved. Georgia Smith. This is what you get when you collaborate with all these people and, and put in the work. They want to help you out, and it really pays off in this album. I actually thought the song with Tyler was probably my favorite one, and I thought Tyler was great on, on the song too. What were the songs that stood out to you? Definitely the Steve Lacey song. What's it called? Just, uh, Just, a, Just Stranger. a Stranger. Yeah. And the song with Georgia Smith as well. I really liked. Yeah. Shout out Georgia Smith. I heard her and it, like, my ear like perked up. I also thought the intro, even though it's only like a minute 20 long, uh, body language is like a really interesting way to start the album. It's like kind of psychedelic mixed with like some Latin sound. It's really awesome. I highly recommend this album. It's probably my, my biggest surprise album of the year to this point out of just coming out of nowhere and, and grabbing my attention yeah i think in terms of like the pop slash r&b space it, it's probably the best one we've reviewed yeah i mean it's, it's up there with camilla i think it's probably a little bit better than that it's better i mean the weekend yeah, ep I, it's too really too short yeah. yeah it's better than that yeah i mean it's only april 16th but it's definitely the best one i've heard so far janelle monet is gonna be dropping what next week two fridays 427 avengers day i have a feeling this is gonna be short-lived for Kaylee, but we'll see. I wasn't able to make it to the movies this week, so unfortunately not able to talk about any of the movies in theaters, but luckily, because we live in 2017, or 2018 now, I'm probably still a year behind, we can watch movies at home. And HBO has been dropping some pretty quality content, or at least interesting uh, movies to watch, with Paterno and Andre the Giant documentary, produced by The Ringer, which we both are avid readers and consumers of. Why don't we start talking about Paterno, though? Barry Levinson directed a project that's been in the works for five years now, was rumored to have Pacino in 2013. Some funding issues came up, and it got kind of put on the shelf, and then 2017 picked up a lot of steam, and basically within like a year, this thing got filmed put together and released early 2018 it was early april at this drop stars joe paterno stars al pacino as joe paterno that'd be impressive if he was in it <laughs> yeah very impressive i have mixed feelings about this really tough topic because it looks at joe paterno and basically like the last two weeks of his uh, head coaching tenure at penn state and the role that he may or may not have played in the Jerry Sandusky scandal. I thought Pacino was okay. It's hard for me to see Pacino as anything but Pacino, I feel like, at this point. But overall, a decent watch. What was your just overall impression of this movie? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the best Pacino performance in a number of years, which kind of goes without saying. Al Pacino's fucking 77. You weren't a big fan of, what was that, Danny? um, Danny Collins? I didn't see Danny Collins. I remember like 88 minutes was like fucking horrible apparently. Like he, he hasn't had too much great stuff lately. Hopefully the Irishman's really good next year. I mean, Al Pacino 77, Barry Levinson 76. Barry Levinson's big run was mm-hmm. in the 80s when it was The Natural and Good Morning Vietnam. And then he wins Best Director for Rain Man. You know, Barry Levinson's time in the sun was a while ago too. And 
He made The Wizard of Lies with De Niro last year, another HBO film about Jimmy Hoffa. And then now he's back mm-hmm. with HBO for Paterno. And I, I feel like the movie itself is kind of like workmanlike. You know, it's not like an amazing film or anything. It's kind of just like a re- retelling of a true story. They've kind of been on a run with that recently at HBO. I mean, they had a The Normal Heart with Mark Ruffalo and Behind the Candelabra about Liberace. And then More in the Life of Henrietta Lacks with Oprah last year and The Wizard of Lies. So they've kind of been on that run of telling real stories. The movies themselves are not like amazing per se, but they have good performances and big talent. And yeah, I mean, I think it's a dramatization of the story. I feel like there's not a whole lot to say about it. You know, it's fine. It's good. So it's a tough topic to talk about, but I felt like the way that they tried to humanize Joe Paterno's part in this is kind of near the end where, mm-hmm. you know, I guess, spoiler alert, he has like this bad dream about in the 70s, there was a time when supposedly he left his children with Jerry Sandusky while he was getting ready for a game. And what if something happened then? And the the kids both say that nothing happened, but like he has this bad dream about it and wakes up screaming. I felt like that was a little bit campy. I understand they're not trying to make you feel either way about him necessarily, but kind of let you make your own opinion but i think adding in something like that which i mean whether that actually happened or not tries to almost like sympathize his role in this in some way is a little bit distasteful and it was a little bit off-putting i thought the performances overall were fine though and i thought there was like some interesting commentary about journalism in there you know talking about i think her name was Ganem. yeah uh, riley keogh she's pretty good she's in logan lucky yeah I mean, like like you said, it's a very workmanlike film. It's it's worth a watch if you're interested in the topic, but I don't think it's going to be something that's going to be talked about very much. I mean, I'm actually more intrigued with two upcoming HBO films, Fahrenheit 451, of course, with Michael yeah. B. and Michael Shannon, and then The Tale, the Laura Dern Sundance movie that they bought. I'm assuming those two will be a little bit more enjoyable. But not to say that Paterno was not enjoyable. You kind of got what you expected. Whether The Tale is good, I feel like more Laura Dern oh, yeah. in my life is a She's good thing. She's fucking hot right now. <laughs> Yeah, she's been on a heater for the la- ever since Big Little Lies dropped, pretty yep. much, but it's awesome. Andre the Giant. I wanted to kind of preface this. We don't really talk about documentaries much on this, so I'm wondering, what is your relationship to documentaries? I also kind of wanted to bring that up. I like documentaries. I've watched a lot of Ken Burns back in the day. Baseball. <laughs> yeah, baseball, Civil War, the World War II one. Vietnam, his most recent Roosevelt one. He's got a fucking ton of them. They're long as hell, so they're a tough watch. But Ken Burns is awesome. I feel like making time for documentaries is something I don't often do. Like I really had no interest in watching OJ Made in America from Ezra Edelman. I know you watched that. Yeah. There, there are ones that come up that I, I would like to watch, like the Defiant ones, the Jimmy Ivey, Dr. Good. Dre one. I want to see the Jane Goodall one, Jane, from last year. Even the Spielberg one from HBO from last year I'd like to watch, but I never watched them. <laughs> I actually watched Under the Giant partly because Ringer Films produced it and wanted to show out for that. But what's your relationship with documentaries? You watch them a little more than I do. I watch documentaries a fair bit. It has to be something that really grabs my attention. And I usually don't watch the series like Ken Burns. Like if it's on PBS at late at night and I have nothing else to watch, I'll, I'll tune in to see about the Battle of Bull Run or something like that. But I'm not going to like seek them out necessarily. But something like the Defiant ones talking about like the music industry. There was one that was on Netflix that got some attention. I think it was like the 13th something. It was about slave, slavery. Oh, yeah. Racism. From Ava DuVernay. Yeah, 13th. Yeah. I checked that one out last year. Yeah, I'll, I'll tune in every once in a while. But it's not something I, I seek out or look for. If it pops up and it's good, I'll check it out. But yeah, so I, I want to support stuff that I feel like produces good content for me. So I felt like I, I really wanted to watch this to support The Ringer. But also, Andre the Giant is kind of this image of like 
folklore in a way. So it's a definitely an interesting idea. I mean, he's this huge guy. I, I never really watched WWE. So for me, I knew him more from The Princess Bride, which was a movie that somehow I consumed a lot growing up. I, I really enjoy it, but it was always interesting being like, why is this guy so big? And like, what's his deal? Were you a WWE person? I don't think so, right? No, my mom doesn't like wrestling, so she didn't want us to watch it growing up anyway, so I never really had much exposure to it at all. I mean, even if we were both wrestling guys, Andre died in 93. Right. WrestleMania 3 was in 80, what, 87. So it's before our time, no matter what. Yeah. But I think what was great about this documentary is that I found it incredibly captivating and grossing despite not being a wrestling fan. Mm -hmm. It really played into the story of the man, both the folklore aspects that are just so cool to learn about, as well as kind of the sad end he had. Being under the giant every day was fucking hard. They also did a great job with explaining the early days of wrestling to that viewers that might not understand like the whole thing with the various territories in the country when the early days of wwf that was really fascinating and they also you know they play up the hulk hogan rise because it intertwines with andre so I, I thought it was very well done i agree i think it does explain to you and it keeps your interest even if it's not something that you really care about a lot but i think the parts that i always find interesting about documentaries and the real reason i watch any of these is for like the human aspect of any of this yeah the moment that sits most of me is vince mcmahon talking about ganja the giant and what he meant to him like a as he died seeing vince mcmahon this guy who is literally like a cartoon character like, uh, like, there's the gif of him like walking out with his arms swinging as he you know walking towards the ring for the wwe very famous like gif of him it's almost like all right this guy is just like machismo dripping from his pores and to see him like break down talking about that and seeing like, the impact that someone who i again see is like folk figure almost in a way andre the giant like that he was a human and he had these connections and just telling a story like that is it's pretty impressive also shout out shoemaker who was just like oh yeah so pivotal in this like boss yeah, awesome. He he was great. I'm excited because, you know, Bill Simmons obviously uh, is well known as a writer, but he was behind the 30 for 30 series, which has kind of become a staple for ESPN. Although I, I think the quality has dropped since the initial right. rollout of that. And he seems to have an eye for like the stories that are interesting and people kind of gravitate towards. He also has a whole website and product that he's, he can push this. So it's kind of hard to necessarily say if it's that or, or the story itself but i'm excited to see what else they do because i think bill simmons has a knack for this so yeah definitely i think they picked a good director too jason herrier yeah he was a 30 for 30 alum he directed the fab five arguably the most popular 30 for 30 there ever that was an awesome ever was what was your favorite 30 for 30 was it that one i did see that one i also liked the miami hurricanes one yeah I haven't awesome. seen a whole lot of other ones all the way through. I don't tune into them now. There's too many. As a biased Red Sox fan, I really enjoy four days in October. But a really interesting one is Fi Slime Jamma, just because I never really knew about them because it was before my time and like seeing that role was uh, or how that, that rise for Houston was really interesting. You know, it was interesting listening to Jason and Bill do press for Andre and just talk about like the production of it. One interesting thing that I, like, I took hold of was the name of the doc. Yeah. We're just going to call it Andre the Giant because that's what people are going to call it. Yeah. If we call it some like pun or some colloquialism about being big, people won't know what that means and they're just going to call it Andre the Giant or Andre anyway. And I was like, you know what? That's a really good point. You don't have to overthink it, especially in the documentary department. Yeah, exactly. When you said OJ Made in America, I was like, oh yeah, I just know it as the OJ documentary. You know? And even like, the Defiant ones probably could have a better name if we're being honest. Yeah. Now that exactly. the name obviously heard it, it was such a high profile documentary, but 
you know, it's something to think about. And also, shout out Andre. <laughs> I think the funniest thing in the doc is his average alcohol consumption was like 25 beers, a few bottles of wine, and a few mixed drinks. Fucking awesome. I'd heard the stories he had consumed like 140 beers, and I was like, nah, that's not true. But then people actually be like, I saw 106 100. beers. Yeah. Amazing. Rick Wild. Flair also, for somebody that was in it twice, just electric. That dude is always going to be electric. Yeah. I, I mean, fuck, he was electric in the Rick Flair drip video with offset like yep. he eats this shit up now yeah he's got a size 24 shoe and a size 24 ring what else you gotta know <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> you know jumping from one hbo product that's good to one that i think we we are mixed on westworld so season one if you want to hear our hear our thoughts you can go back and check soundcloud.com get that spice out. do we have it up on the youtube channel it's not up on the YouTube channel. That was before we were on YouTube, but it's on SoundCloud, easy to find. Fall 2016 when it came out. I gotta say, though, every time the Westworld promos come on and I hear that... Yeah, it's a good theme. Yeah, the piano for Nirvana or Kanye, <laughs> it always draws me in. I'm like, this is more exciting and better filmmaking than almost anything in season one of Westworld. Which actually, <laughs> maybe that's not a fair statement, because I feel like filmmaking-wise, it, it, it's pretty good, but I think writing-wise and sometimes acting-wise, I, I don't really buy it. We'll kind of talk about the problems with it, but can you give people a, maybe a very brief synopsis of Westworld season one? <laughs> Good luck. Well, overview. We're rehash our thoughts about season one, what we liked, what we didn't like, and how we hope the show improves for season two, which comes out this Sunday, the 22nd. I think that's an interesting proposition, though. Explain season one. And right. when I talk to people that are, quote, huge Westworld fans, and I'm like, well, what'd you like about it? What, 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 or even something similar. What happened? It's a tough question to answer. I think that directly goes into one of the faults of season one, which is that the plot doesn't make sense. Muddled. Season one, and again, I don't want to write off the, the future of the show, but season one is a show that lived for plot twists, but not a lot of it made sense. And we're going to spoil everything if you didn't catch that by now. Jimmy Simpson's character, uh, William, is the man in black. It doesn't make any more sense once you actually see the twist happen. A, lo- a lot of the timeline things, like, yeah, we got it early on that there was going to be different timelines. We figured out that Bernard was Arnold, fine. But the whole Man in Black twist, I don't think, lands at all. So just explain the whole plot. So one of the strengths of the show is the basic high concept, which I think the pilot's probably the best aspect of season one, because the pilot expertly sells the show. It's like fucking living Grand Theft Auto in the world of Red Red Dead Redemption, playing out in the, the Wild West. Cool, I got it. The problem was that once you advance past the pilot, not a lot landed after that. You just got more confused. Mm-hmm. But Dell's Corp, we learned they run like six different theme parks, one of which is Westworld. We learned later there's going to be a samurai world, which should be cool in season two. And people go there to live out their fantasies. They're black hat if they're a bad dude, white hat if they're more pure, like uh, William was. Mm-hmm. And then you got fucking the founder, Ford, played by Anthony Hopkins, the most fake, deep, overrated character I've seen in a long time. Everything that guy says makes no sense, and a lot of the things about him were just really ridiculous, and I, I was like, you know what? That's like XXXTentacion in like 50 years. <laughs> and like, I had a friend who was like, I think Ford's like the best character I've ever seen on TV, and I'm like, come on, Doc. Come on. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. I think that the show will be better without Ford's presence. Shout out Hopkins. It was, it was a fine performance. He's cashing them checks. Been doing it for a while now. <laughs> but I think the show would be better off. I mean, there was too many characters as it was, but getting his out of the way should be a positive. I mean, what, what do you think? What, what else do you have to say about season one? I mean, too many characters. 
confusing. It just has has no emotional draw to it. I mean, it's a TV show about humans that want to go and and commit crimes and just be rowdy and do outrageous things and it's, it follows mostly robots except for what jimmy simpson's character and ford who ends mm-hmm. up dying at the Tessa end of Thompson, season one yeah, who's but, barely there luke hemsworth yeah, who's barely there yeah you have all this talent and it spent time around evan rachel wood's character dolores Sandy newton's character mave james marsden yeah, and Dang. then you have Jeffrey Wright, who plays Bernard, and he's also a robot. So it's like, it's hard for me to really feel connected to a show unless I'm approaching it in two ways. In Westworld, I feel like set me set it up to be the show that was going to tell this huge story, and you're following these people and their growth, and they have these moments of triumph and, and, and depth, but really ended up just being like, what does it mean to be human? But you're seeing it from a robot's perspective, so like, what the fuck even is that question? But then the second side of it is like a show like Legion, which I think it doesn't always draw me in emotionally the way that I would hope it was. But we talked about it last week. It's a show that we really enjoy because it does a lot of things. It takes a lot of chances. It's incredibly interesting, which I didn't really find Westworld to be super interesting all the time like like you said the twists were predictable and a lot of it didn't make sense so it was hard for me to really feel all right this is a top tier show the majority of the intrigue in westworld is the basic concept that's established in the pilot what do you like about westworld whenever anyone answers that to me they just talk about everything we learned in the fucking episode one it's like there's you don't have any growth watching the show and like you said i don't have a problem with the show revolving around the robots proposes all these things about human what is humanity and what is consciousness but doesn't actually do anything with them we waste all this time about the fucking maze this stupid convoluted plot that was clearly rewritten as they made the show was ready to the death as the season progressed mm. and you have these bigger themes that we can definitely see they're out there and they're just not being played with things that work well obviously the show is fucking beautiful it's expensive as fuck yep. hbo's behind it hbo's invested in it that's why i'm optimistic for the future because this is their post game of thrones zeitgeisty show the talent is there they just got to use it better yeah and that's actually one of the things i think could make this show really interesting and and something that i actually end up liking in season two you know they've alluded to robot samurais or this part of the world where there's like samurais this show can get super weird and it can become like legion and just do interesting things all the week every week and have these even like bottle episodes where you're just venturing into this little world. Maybe I'm not going to be super emotionally invested, but if I'm going with the expectation that this is just going to be a show that explores all these weird things and how these people navigate this, or even if it's robots navigating it that have some sort of like sentient emotional capability, Mm -hmm. then yeah, sure. I can probably find it enjoyable. I'm going to watch it just because it's HBO and it's one of their premier shows, but I don't think it can get to the level of a show like, the deuce or a show like the wire or something else that's premiere on hbo just because i just don't think it has the soul to it that those shows shows have yeah i agree i mean the best robot character is probably mave i think that's pretty obvious danny newton great job the arc her character goes on is fucking absurd (laughs) those dallas technicians were idiots the whole time it didn't make sense no but the future of her character could be very promising i'm not a big fan of dolores no shots at yeah. Rachel Wood, but they don't humanize Dolores despite all the fucking one-on-one talking she does with Ford and fucking Bernard. It just didn't work. I feel like a lot of late season reveals and like moments, a lot of it just doesn't land. This doesn't feel earned. And they can improve that. I'm pretty much going to guarantee that season two is going to be better because they had more time to work on this, more money. I don't think they rewrote it. They're going to know of all their mistakes from season one. So I assume it's going to get better. But 
man, I, I always feel like being that guy whenever people talk about season one. I was like, can you actually think about it for a minute? And like, because again, it's a premiere show. It's an event show. You got to hold it to a standard. You yeah. can't just say, oh, I want to watch the Cowboys <laughs> and the fucking, you know, like it's more than that. No, I, I remember we were talking with one of our friends who I won't call out on this, <laughs> I but I asked, about. what was your favorite part of season one? Oh, I really liked Dolores' character. What'd you like about it? Oh, I thought it was really interesting. You know, oh, she's a, she's a robot, but she's starting to become human. I was like, oh, you mean episode one? Yeah, exactly. And to kind of touch on Dolores for a second, it seems like from the promos, and obviously it's just the promos, but that they're actually moving away from the idea of like humanizing her and actually kind of making her like this almost like menacing two-faced type overarching bad person which is kind of what you got at the end of fort the master plan that final scene in a way that she's playing some like larger role in all this but jimmy simpson's character and also i guess ed harris's character since they're just the same person different timelines i think could be one piece of this that could be interesting if they fleshed it out a little bit more although i don't know how interesting it is that he fell in love with a robot and just can't parse his feelings out from that well yeah it still doesn't make sense that he became a fucking stone cold killer right you know cynical guy it still doesn't make sense it, the transition just didn't happen they just kind of told us hey you were right it's him yeah we still don't know why and assumingly we'll get more but as it stands right now it still was pretty weak any predictions or anything you want to throw out there before season starts i mean that most recent trailer does show a lot of action the robot rebellion stuff we kind of saw that coming, but that that should be cool. A samurai world, whatever it is. Tessa Thompson looks like she's wearing like a bulletproof vest in the park. I'm happy that she's giving her something to do. Please. You know, she really didn't do anything in season one. She was just like stunt casting, basically, even though she wasn't quite that famous yet. But you watch that trailer. Can you f- predict much of anything from it? Not really. They're just kind of be like, ah, Westworld. Deep quote here. Deep quote there. Think. It's like, all right, fine. I'll I'll try. <laughs> well, like you said, they kind of did wrote a lot of it on the fly or rewrote a lot of it on the fly last year, which hopefully, you know, they'll come in with, with a concept and a clear vision and we'll just execute that instead of bouncing around or, or trying to appease whatever fans are talking about in the Reddit threads. That was an issue Lost had. And that's kind of why Lost at the end of its like what, fourth of his seasons really started to go down in quality because it kind of just started not making any sense. And they openly talked about how they were very reactive in the writer's room at that stage of the show. Yeah, which is actually interesting because I feel like Lindelof almost like overcorrected with leftovers. Yeah, leftovers because he pretty much just like I have an idea and I'm gonna be as weird as I want. Except I guess season between season one and two, he kind of was like, I guess I need to make this a little bit lighter. But right. <laughs> other than that, like he was like, I have an idea. We're following this and I'm gonna tell the story I want. I think Lisa Joy and Joe and Nolan's a good team for yeah. Westworld. And again, HBO, this is their premier product. They're invested in it. For the post-Thrones world. Yeah, I was going to say, no Thrones this year. What do you think will be the show that, I don't know, as the, as the Watchpod might say, takes the belt? Well, that's actually an interesting point because this Emmy season, which will cut off in the summer, no Thrones for this upcoming Emmys, no Veep for this upcoming Emmys, and those are two of the big winners recently. Yeah. So there's a lot of opportunity for a show like The Handmaid's Tale or if Westworld actually gets through, who knows. But in terms of the belt, I mean, it's Atlanta right now. The critical belt is Atlanta. The creative belt, you can give a second place to Legion. But, like, those shows don't do gangbuster ratings. Despite all the Don Glover fans that I see on Twitter, they don't all watch the show because you see it in the rating. Westworld will be one of the highest rated shows of the year. And whether that translates to Emmy success remains to be seen. A show like Barry, I think, could potentially, if it continues, I I think after the first episode, it's been... Okay, not like fantastic, but it's been pretty good. Silicon Valley seems to still try to be finding their footing. I don't know. It's 
I'm not sure like what show is really it right now. You got the Amy Adams show with Jean-Marc Vallée. Uh, Sharp Objects coming. That's HBO 2. No day on that yet. Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the Coen Brothers show or mini movie, whatever it is, that's coming later in the year. Right. Handmaid's Tale comes back Wednesday right after Westworld for season two. Maybe that knocks it out of the park. I didn't watch Handmaid's Tale season one, so I got to catch up on that. Currently trying to get through the Americans. I feel like that this could be the... (laughs) I mean, Americans' final season. This could be the year they finally get it. You never know. I mean, they did get some nominations for, like I think, seasons three and four after, like, they haven't won anything, but the Emmys do know who they are. They didn't totally leftovers them. Yeah. And, heck, maybe it could be Americans. I I know a lot of of shows are really looking at that drama category without Thrones there. Do you know when Better Call Saul is supposed to be coming back? They usually start up around this time. We don't know anything, but they said the fall. I think they had a, they delayed the shooting so the production was pushed back good good that means i can catch up on that too before yeah. it comes back i'm excited for that we'll wrap up there for westworld you know a lot of hbo talk today so if they want to throw us some sponsorship money wouldn't hate that if you want to support us follow us on youtube subscribe below go to soundcloud.com nostalgia pod follow us there interact with us on twitter at nostalgia pod and leave a rating and review on itunes we really appreciate it what do we got to look forward to i'm definitely going to make it to see you were never really here this week okay. and then uh yeah. chapaquiddick i think also if i can make it to two this week nice there's no new releases big ones uh, i think borg vs McEnroe, the shia labeouf movie is in limited release we'll see if that's actually around i have a showing near me actually i can check that out oh nice yeah i like to see that if it comes to by me it probably will i saw gemini the zoe kravitz movie that was actually uh, really good but yeah and there's no real music releases new as far as but we know but westworld coming on sunday so we, we're good Sounds good. Anything you want to talk about, hit us up on Twitter. Until then, we'll see you.